You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Bag Holder Support Group, where we give you ways to hide your crippling financial losses from your spout. No, wait, sorry, that's that's wrong. Uh, welcome back to the Penny Stock Gambling Hour, where we share the best places to sell blood plasma in order to buy the next dip. No, sorry, <laughs> hang on. Welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network. There we go. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2023. My name is Manish. And as always, we are joined by the one and only, maybe the next Speaker of the House if the vote fails. His name is Abby. Thank you for having me. Jeez, that's you're very upbeat for uh, for a bl- for a bag holder who just donated a lot of blood. <laughs> Little woozy. Yeah, yeah. Um, happy How's New it Year, going, buddy. It's going, it's going pretty well, man. I've got good feelings about this year. You know, 2023, this is the year. This is the year of safe. This is the year of, of legalization, interstate commerce, you know, full-on re-ratings. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. <laughs> it wasn't December 2022. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, maybe December uh, 2032, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, so, uh, look- well, at least we're off to a good start. Yeah, look, I mean, let's let's get into it, right? Um, I mean, to start, I think it should address, you know, what's happened in the few weeks that we've been gone. And, um, you know, look, if we talk about the action, I think the words that come to mind are like devastating, uh, embarrassing, soul crushing wealth destruction. You know, when when people are down 60, 70, 80, 90 percent on what they considered high quality, uh, you know, speculative, but high quality investments. I mean, these are the formative experiences that turn people away from stocks into becoming like treasury bill investors. Uh, you know, th- these are things that leave scars. And um, I think it's important to remember that markets really have booms and have busts. And one of my favorite quotes is uh, real estate is an industry with 10-year cycles and five-year memories. Um, and, and what that quote means is that, you know, you have these, these boom-bust cycles, you know, mostly it's boom, and then you have kind of, you know, these cleanup periods of busts. Um, but what happens is that, you know, people get uh, overly excited and then, you know, things kind of uh, go too far and they fall into themselves for whatever reason. Um, and then you get these cleanup periods. And just as people become too over exuberant in the booms, you know, in the bust period, uh, people get overly conservative. And those are usually when uh, the best deals happen, when money is tight and and cautiousness is at a high. Um, And it's important to remember that, you know, in comparing, you know, our market to something like real estate, when the saving and loans crisis happened in the late 80s, early 90s, I mean, it took real estate 10 plus years to fully recover. Um, and, uh, now I don't think that's necessarily where we are, but I think it's just a good reminder that investing is supposed to be hard. 
it what we lived through over the last two years uh, was a very distorted market. And, you know, I know there's a lot of pain right now, um, but, you know, I think these kind of events and these kind of experiences actually make us better investors. Uh, and it helps us learn valuable lessons that you're not really learning when the market is doing nothing but going up. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I think if you were to rephrase that quote, it would be cannabis has, you know, 10 month cycles and five day memories. <laughs> if, if December was anything. Um, Damn, that's good. I just, like that. Yeah, if December, if, if December was any um, um, consolation of of, of the sector in general. And uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, like, listen, hopefully we come out a little bit more resilient. I think a lot of people will just end, end up leaving the sector after uh, at least a lot of people that I've spoken with have just decided to, Hey, they're hanging their hat and they're calling it. And I don't blame them. Um, it's been definitely challenging. I think a lot of the catalysts and everything that we've talked about that everybody's talked about on Twitter. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the hype catalyst. I'm talking about the main fundamental catalyst, right? The the big mm -hmm. one being either safe or the big one being U.S. legalization. It's it hasn't it hasn't happened, obviously. And you know what what's the real takeaway from that occurring? You know, like what what lesson do you typically learn? Right? You did all your due diligence. You looked at balance sheets. You learned how to read cash flow statements. You found sound operators. They were growing revenue, and it's just like, hey, like these companies were worse off three years ago, but worth more than they are today, right? Like how, how does that make any, any sense? So there's definitely been a lot of learning on my on my side and I'm sure on yours as well. But, um, you know, in, investing is supposed to be hard, as you say. Um, it's not supposed to have instant returns and it's not supposed to, to it's not supposed, I mean, listen, it's supposed to be hard, but like this is brutal. This is like, this is like a diamond yeah. type <laughs> no, hardness yeah as hard as it so, possibly gets i don't know it's you know i guess so, rock so like, hard uh, there you go <laughs> alluding to how difficult it's been i mean uh nick and i did our our quarterly financial analysis you know less than a month ago and you know from the time we did you know did the actual recording we released it i mean within like two weeks or something the values had gone down 40 percent from when we did the analysis. So, I mean, it's crazy how quick the decline has been from already, you know, uh, a steep decline. And I think, I think that on top of, you know, just the, just the disgust with kind of how everything shook out, I think you're really seeing uh, people throw in the towel, right. In true capitulation. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think, look, I think things like this, it, it's always good to just stop, take a step back and do some deep reflection on what went wrong. And, you know, I've seen people say, um, look, this sucks. This is the worst financial decision I've ever made. Uh, you know, I wish I never found out about this. I was wrong. Um, and look, I think all of that is quite healthy to have those conversations. But I think it's more useful to dig and do some sober analysis and some soul searching and we need to learn from our mistakes. So today, you know, the, the topic of today is, is, you know, we're having these new lows. How did we get here? So we want to answer a couple of key questions, which is what went wrong? Uh, what mistakes were made? Um, differentiating between, you know, what was bad luck versus um, I think what was uh, bad business and discussing ultimately what would we do differently in the future? And 
then looking forward, you know, where does this leave us for 2023? How should we look at investing in cannabis this year and as opposed to investing in other assets? Um, and we're not going to pull any punches. I mean, look, there's a very harsh reality that we're looking at here. I think this is very much a nuclear winner for cannabis. And I think this could be a year of mass extinction events where, you know, you do have a lot of uh, uh, exodus from the industry of of companies, investors, employees, et cetera. Uh, mm. However, a little controversial, um, I've got some optimism. And uh, I, I'm going to share at the end kind of some of the good news and, and how uh, there might be some opportunities here as an investor. And, and I say it's controversial because, you know, the door has swung the other way. And, and you know, previously, nobody wanted to hear anything negative. Um, now, it almost feels like if you if you talk about positivity and buying opportunities, uh, it feels like people are not happy to hear about that. But um, but I think that's actually where we are today. I think there's actually some interesting things to talk about. So so that's what we're going to get into in this episode. I mean, listen, I, I, th- I think that people will, will be open to positivity um, and like po- positive sentiment, but it's got to be something different, right? That, that's where I think the, 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 the pushback that we're sort of getting from or the pushback that you're sort of hearing from, right? Like there's only so many times you can say the same catalyst over and over again, right? So if it's, if it's something positive, that's something that, that's new, then it would definitely make sense. Like, like, hey, like all of a sudden, you know, Jerome Powell came out and said, hey, he's cutting rates. Then yeah, then I think cannabis will do well. <laughs> Yeah, it's cutting rates only for the cannabis sector. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, the new thing is that Abby's going to buy everybody's portfolio. Yeah. Do they accept <laughs> bits of string as currency? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Before we get into all of this, let's catch up. Um, listen, happy new year to everybody. Uh, obviously, the the end of the year wasn't uh, maybe what we hoped for as cannabis investors. Um, but I, I think just to you know kind of recap um, you know, the end of the year, uh, you know, I took some time off. I was doing a trip to Thailand. Um, Abby, I know you were, you had some, some nice family time. Were you, were you away at all? No, I was in the city more or less, but, uh, had some great family time. Got to see, you know, everyone here took some time off on, on the holidays, more of a staycation type thing. But one thing I will say about, about, about the sector in December, what a roller coaster ride, man. Like I, yeah. I'm telling you, like it was to the point where it was like day over day, things were changing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what I kept thinking was I was I was thinking, you know, I'm so glad that I never made a Twitter account and joined Twitter because if I had been kind of, you know, I don't think Wait, I would have. I heard Matthew to- Perry is not you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you weren't going to share that. No. So I, I was just thinking that, like, if I was, you know, sort of like live tweeting, you know, my thoughts you know, minute by minute. I mean, how stupid you would have looked, right? Because to your point, it was just such a whiplash of up and down and it's going to happen and not going to happen. Um, you know, just in that, in the heat of the moment, it's so easy to get yourself turned upside down, right? And, and you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, but that was one of my big takeaways is how easily we start as investors and then turn into traders. Um, and then, you know, you can very easily get caught in the moment of like, oh my God, this is happening. I'm going to miss it. I want to put on more risk suddenly um, and get, get caught on the other side of it. Right. And and I think I, that was, yeah. that was a big thing I saw too, is that everybody got caught up, um, you know, by 
looking like something was going to happen, right? I mean, it, it really looked mm-hmm. for a m- minute there like this thing was going to pass. Um, and, and it just seemed like it caught everybody offside and everybody seemed to kind of jump on the boat uh, or on one side of the boat together at the exact wrong time. No, absolutely. And I remember getting, I remember like when MSOS was starting to go up like day after day after day. And I was like, okay, I missed this. I'm not going to do this. And I had this, this crazy feeling and I made a note of it. I actually wrote down on, on the on piece of paper that just said, just remember this feeling. I didn't put a date or anything like that. Cause that's how forward thinking I am. <laughs> so I had this piece of paper that I could remember that I know exactly what had happened. I was sitting on my couch and I had the worst FOMO. I was like, man, I spent four years in this sector and I'm going to mm-hmm. miss the biggest catalyst because I was too risk averse. And then I like calmed myself down. I was like, look, listen, you missed it. You missed it. Whatever. Don't put it. Like, I, I didn't put any more money into the sector in December. It was just, you know, a, because I had barely literally no dry powder to, to, to put in. And I just remember three days later when, you know, safe didn't pass and all that stuff started happening. I was texting a buddy of mine. Um, and I just like, you know, I was just like, look, I'm so glad that I just, let cooler heads prevail this one time is the only time I've ever done anything right. And it was just <laughs> not putting money in because literally the next, like it was like, maybe not the next day, but the day after or like two days after it was back down to, I think it went from like $9 to $12 and back down to $9, you know? Yeah. And, and kept going down, but uh, you're talking about MSOS, yeah. but it's funny. I, MSOS, I remember I was saying, yeah. I was saying to a group chat, I was like, man, like the wheels are really falling off the bus right now. And somebody was like, like, buddy, the wheels fell off the bus a long time ago. Like the the uh, the chassis is dragging across the ground and sparks are flying everywhere. Uh, and and that I, I think it was an apt metaphor for the idea that like like really from a price action perspective, people have have just absolutely dumped and given up on the sector. Um, mm-hmm. And and I I think it's totally understandable, right? I mean, I think that uh, there's very much a feeling that. Um, you know, there's there's really no immediate uh, catalyst coming up. You know, the fundamentals are going in the wrong direction, and there's there's just nothing that people see um, that encourages them to buy today, right? Maybe they look forward to you know mid to end of twenty four and into twenty five, uh, but that's that's two years away almost, right? I mean, that's a that's a mm-hmm. very long time um, for people to look forward. Right. And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that perspective, but I can understand where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so look, let's uh, k- kind of getting into into actually what happened here. Um, let's talk about, um, you know, right before, you know, we took off for for holiday. Uh, we did have an episode talking about all or nothing on safe banking and um I just want to highlight that episode because I think actually if you if you I was listening back to it and like we kind of nailed what we were thinking about the December uh, safe process and and just some bullet points. We said like, look, nobody knows what will happen, including Schumer. Um, No, and this will kind of go to the last minute and no one really knows how it will all shake out. And, you know, the the central thesis I had was that they were going to try to put too much equity in the package, uh, the safe banking package, and that would be the thing that killed it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, in fact, the positive thing that came out of all this was that when you looked at the package they put together, they didn't have too much equity. And in fact, they had um, the SAFE Act, they had the HOPE Act, which is around expungements, um, and they had the Graham Act, 
which was um, around gun rights. And, you know, that was, you know, seemingly a kind of a, a nod to, you know, more, um, uh, you know, issues that Republicans might care more about, right? Gun rights. And so you look at that and you go, wow, that was actually a very reasonable kind of centrist package they put together, right? Um, but, you know, in that episode, we said, well, and this was almost like an afterthought, like, well, what if there's a last minute snafu? You know, what about Mitch McConnell? Is he going to let them have a win? Uh, and sure enough, that ended up becoming a much bigger issue um, than we thought, right? And and just goes to show, like, that was not really an item that was front of mind. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, he dropped in at the last minute, you know, yeah. really, really was giving them uh, the opportunity to sink uh, safe by, by, you know, going too far on it um, and then coming in at the last minute and blocking it. Right. And, and so my thesis on the whole thing in that episode was, look, take off risk going into safe. And remember you have an exposure if it hits. So, and that is exactly what I did going into it. Um, But then just to, the reason I'm highlighting this is just to show you how wrong I got it. Nonetheless, I did all of that correctly. And then at the, you know, when that package came out, um, I was like, oh, look at that. Like, uh, it's actually going to happen. Um, and when it failed the first time, I was kind of like, oh, you know, maybe there's still a trade in here. And I somehow convinced myself to to take the money I'd taken off the table and slowly start putting it back um, into MSOX of all vehicles. And, uh, you know, anyone who's been tracking MSOX knows exactly how this this part of the story ends. And it's it's not well. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, ended up buying it basically all the way down into the, like the low teens, um, and you know now it's down to like I don't know six dollars or something, and it just goes to show you that you know you can you can have a game plan, you can map everything out, you can have a good idea on it, but where you can get lost in the shuffle is is you know in those moments, in those emotional moments, you're like all right, well I'll just take you know I'll dip a toe in, I'll dip a toe in, I'll just buy a little more, and then you kind of get stuck into averaging down, averaging down. And then you look back and you're like, what the hell was I doing? Right. Like, yeah. like that was, yeah. you know, I really got caught up there. And I, and I think that actually, you know, to, to talk about it is kind of one of the main categories of, of what went wrong, you know, like going from having kind of a rational investing plan um, into, you, you know, what starts as maybe a smaller part of your portfolio and gambling a little bit or, or, you know, just just trying a little bit, but then going deeper and deeper and getting stuck into something. Um, and, and I think that that experience is a good reminder to me um, of, you know, giving yourself limits, right? Whether it's, hey, I'm only going to do only going to use X dollars for something riskier or, uh, you know, I'm going to have some kind of game plan and try to stick to it. If you if you try to, you know, time things kind of minute by minute, day by day. Uh, it's really easy to get yourself completely turned around in the fog of war. Well, absolutely, especially when you've got all that hype, right? Like everywhere you look during that time, you saw MSOS, not X, but MSOS <clears throat> start running up. You and you go check, you know, Twitter, huge you inflows. Yeah, huge you can go check exactly, and then you go check Twitter, and it's like, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Oh, they didn't, you know, every single thing I was worried about by the bill isn't going to occur. Then you go check your group chat and everyone's like, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that's why I wrote, like I, I, I was, I was going to get back into the sector or like, if not, I'm still in the sector, but I was going to put more money into that, into the sector, uh, through MSOS. And, you know, 
it was the discipline where I was just like, look, listen, you know, I think I messaged you and I, I don't know if you messaged me back or not. And then it, I was just like, okay, well, he has messaged me back. I'm just going to sit tight. And then I just didn't end up doing anything, but I wrote myself down, you know, <laughs> remember this feeling, no date, nothing else. But, uh, I wish I wrote the date down now, but, um, anyways, it's, uh, it's well, yeah, the, the, the amount of discipline that, that, that required. And if I had put money into it, like into that, that run up, you know, it'd have been down 30, 40% within two days. Yeah. I mean, for, for sure. And if you put it into X, you would have been down double that. So, uh, yeah, no, yeah. no, I stopped what? levered ETFs. I learned, I got burned a long time ago on levered ETFs. <laughs> yeah. So, so look, I, I mean, um, I, I think that, you know, everyone who's just lived through that whiplash, I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious how painful that was. Um, and certainly it, I think brought a lot of disgust to people, but one of the things that, one of the big takeaways that I had too, was that, you know, the, the thing I kept repeating in that episode was like, nobody knows how this is going to go. Right. So, and and one of the things that struck me is is when it looked like it was going to pass, people who were pounding the table suddenly looked really, really smart. And it was like, oh, my God, like they knew something we didn't know and we're such idiots. Um, and then, you know, the opposite obviously happened. And then and then that um, euphoria that people had really turned into a lot of anger. You know, and you're seeing uh, a lot of people directing anger towards, you know, some of the more prominent names in our industry, which, which I don't think is fair either, by the way. But... Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the things of, of bull markets um, versus, you know, these these bust cycles that we're living through. Right. I mean, um, it's it's also this amount of sort of uh, of ego versus humility. And I think that when everything is going well, um, you know, people who are very brash and confident um, and are pounding the table, they end up looking very smart. And I think that's really attractive for people. You know, people don't like to hear. I don't know. And they don't like to hear the idea of like, look, nobody knows this. And and the way it works is we go, well, OK, fine. You know, maybe nobody knows, but maybe I can figure this out. And and that's one thing that cannabis investors have, I think, made a mistake of doing a lot is trying to figure out these like esoteric political processes. Um, you know, you know, what does the new House speaker think of cannabis? What is the you know, new ways and means committee head think what's, you know, what's his voting record? Like these are things that, okay, might be a little bit helpful for somebody to, to figure out who knows what they're doing. But um, at the end of the day, I just don't know what value we're adding uh, by trying to figure this out ourselves. And, and I think there's a real harm um, sometimes when you think you figured something out, right. When you, you think you might know uh, you can know just enough to really do damage to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of in the entire cannabis investing journey. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So let, yeah. look, let's talk about some of the main categories of um, what I think went wrong and, and how we got here. So I've, I've kind of broken it into four categories. Um, the first one is fundamentals, distortion and deterioration. So, you know, kind of looking back, you know, two-ish years, we think about COVID, um, I think what we, you know, the we've talked about this many times, but I think really what we saw was an imbalance of the supply of cannabis and the demand of cannabis, right? So in a lot of markets, you know, if you think back to the beginning of 2020, um, you know, Michigan just went recreational, Illinois went recreational, and we we started to see because of COVID large surges in demand um, in every market, but also in medical programs like in Pennsylvania and Florida. 
Um, and part of that was just things like telemedicine, the ability to get your cards easier. Uh, and part of that was just, you know, the natural stress um, caused by COVID and, and the ability of people to you know, sit at home and consume cannabis with a lot of free money that they received. So we saw this huge surplus in demand. Um, and then we saw people rush uh, in order to get supply to catch up to that demand. Right. So this is the, the first phase of what I call fundamental distortion, where these gigantic boom in sales. And um, and typically what you're you're going to see is that when you have um, these like boom cycles, what starts as speculative usually gets backed up at some point with with a kernel of truth. So um, originally, I think when in 2020, when the market recovered, I think some of it might have been speculative. But once you started seeing the results that the cannabis operators were producing, then you're like, oh, damn, like there's something very real here. You know, these companies are suddenly making money hand over fist. Um, and mm. this is going to continue for the foreseeable future. So, but what we weren't thinking about was how much is demand being distorted by free money and, you know, staying at home um, and, uh, you know, maybe anxiety produced by, uh, you know, being trapped indoors, right? So I think some of that demand has now normalized and gone away. Um, and then at the same time, the supply has caught up uh, materially kind of uh, in markets across the country. You know, capital has flown in, there's been more availability, et cetera, et cetera. So demand normalizing, incomes coming down, no more free money for people. Uh, and supply increasing, right? And so, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just want I just want to chime in. If if you're going to continue on that point, I'll, I'll let you go. But I just want to chime in. If this was any other sector, there is one other factor. Uh, I would agree with you, but there's one other factor you got to take in specifically because of because it's cannabis. Is that that demand um, and the demand was? I mean, it's it's really difficult to sort sort of model demand, but the supply wasn't the full picture. There was a black market in almost every market that you look at, right? And so, you know, we you got to take that into consideration, right? So that mm -hmm. that accelerated the, the the distortion or even the deterioration um, of the sector too, which which I think is, you know, we we've talked about it, we've seen it happen in California, we've always talked about the black market, but I. I I really think, me personally, I underestimated how impactful the black market would be for almost any market, for any can, uh, any state that you kind of go into. Um, there's always yes. some sort of presence out there. So whatever supply that you see, if it says, hey, we've got you know 10 pounds of cannabis in supply, making this number up, there's probably 15 pounds. You know what I mean? Like just something else is going on there because somehow like, you know, black market cannabis is getting into regulated markets and you, you got you got to factor that in. Yeah, I, I agree. And and um, and actually, that probably pay, played a role in the first phase, the distortion phase, because uh, I think that when people couldn't leave their house, maybe they were less likely to buy black market, right? Like, so there was actually uh, maybe some of that happening as well in the beginning. But so mm -hmm. so that's fundamental distortion. Then then it slowly but then quickly turned into fundamental deterioration, where prices really started to come down. Um, and I think it was maybe mid 21 where we started to see this in the results. Uh, mm -hmm. and I did a trip to Boston and there was an episode where, um, I talked about this and I said, what if this is, you know, normalization? What if this is what you start to see, uh, as supply catches up to demand? Um, and, and 
but part of you know part of what I realize is that as investors, you know, we are looking, uh, you know, we we want to make money, we want to find something that's underappreciated, and we want to be optimistic about the future. So, mm-hmm. what happens is often if there's something negative, we might be reluctant to accept that negative thing. Uh, that's certainly the case for me. I can't speak for anybody else, but that's what I've noticed in myself. So, you know, even though I I had that question and that idea in my mind, it was kind of easy to, um, to kind of put that to the side and kind of keep going, right? And say, okay, well, maybe if you have, you know, slow down in a couple of markets, that's okay. But some of the other markets will stay, you know, still very strong, right? Um, so I, I think I think that was, you know, if you put it in terms of what mistakes were made, um completely overestimating the earning power of these businesses, um, understanding that over time, the margins and prices would come down, but Mm -hmm. underestimating how quickly and how dramatically they would come down. Um, And and part of that, Abby, to your point is about, you know, illicit market sales and the force that 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 played. Um, And I think actually part of that too, I think part of the illicit market is also the legal market in other places. You know, whether it be uh, California or Oregon or Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I think you, yeah. yeah, I think you are seeing legally grown product, quote unquote, making its way out of the legal channels into the illicit channels. Um, and there's, you know, been a lot of discussion around going into a, a you know, a New York illicit dispensary um, and seeing California brands on the shelves and seeing that it's, it's legit, you know, legitimate product. It's just being purchased and shipped over in bulk, right? So, yeah, um, I think a lot of that is happening now. So, you know, the companies, um, you know, were not exactly forthcoming in disclosing this, uh, and certainly, I, I don't think we we picked this up from a lot of the analysts either until it was too late, right? So, that was a really a big mistake, um, and you know, nobody's really going to look out for you on those kind of things. You have to make those determinations on your own. Um, and, and that was a big one that I missed because at the end of the day, if you look at the story in 2021, it was ultimately, even when the markets were softening, um, I mean, when the capital markets were softening, the fundamental story was, um, was the exciting part still. Right. But, but not being ahead of that slowdown, um, I think that's really what ended up uh, biting us all in the ass because the estimates for all these companies have come down dramatically now, right? And and that's yeah. that's been painful. And when and when those projections were being made, um, since since we we're talking about timing to the market, we also have to take into consideration, especially for some of the MSOs that were going into uh, that that were sort of front running adult use, the time that adult use took to sort of come to fruition in certain, in certain markets was insane. Right. And that was something that was really difficult. And there wasn't like, Hey, it typically takes one year. Let's say if they say they're going to do it in January, 2023, by January, 2024, we can kind of see it. It was very market by market. Like uh, it was, they, they were, they weren't mutually exclusive. You know what I mean? Like it was, sorry, not mutually exclusive. They were, they weren't independent or they were independent in the sense that um, you couldn't be like, Oh, well, uh, Illinois took two years. So Michigan's going to take two years, right? It was just it right, was right, right, state right. It's all over the map. Just like, yeah, all yeah, over like, the map. Like New Jersey, for example, had a ballot initiative in you know late 2020. You know, Rexdale didn't happen year, for 18 months. Yeah, exactly. Right? And even 
in their own uh, uh, rules, it said they were supposed to launch in six months and it ended up turning into 18 months. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to your point, yeah, it's, it's, it, that was really painful. New York, you know, went uh, uh, legislatively in early 21 and, you know, it took basically two years for the first sale to launch and, and they only have one legal dispensary open, right? And yet they have how many hundred illegal dispensaries open, right? So, so yeah, right. that, that's a great point. Um, lastly, I'll say fundamentally when it, when it came to the actual stocks, a tremendous amount of M&A was done. Uh, with these stocks, uh, you know, billions and billions of dollars of M&A done, a lot of which were private companies. And, you know, that was all paper um, that was put into the hands of investors and founders and and et cetera that never had liquidity. And so when they wanted to exit, um, that ended up getting dumped and absorbed into the market. And, you know, some of that is fine. Um, but at some point, you know, there just was a lack of new buyers and liquidity to uh, soak up all of those shares, right? And, and those shares ended up flooding onto the market. So that ended up being a challenge as well for, for the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I think the, the macro situation, you know, similar to what we saw with the fundamentals, we had a distortion and then we had deterioration. So um, when you think about the, the macro environment, you know, and the fact that we had just a deluge of capital flooding into the market, um, and you look know, kudos to anybody who figured out that you know the fed pouring money in was going to be just the ultimate catalyst for every single asset uh what what howard marks called the everything bubble but you know it, it didn't happen right away it really took time to get going right and so um I, I think ultimately what you had was just too much money chasing too few deals which you know uh, you started to see things like spacs come around um, and you just just saw this absolute pouring gasoline on the fire of of all these companies. Yeah, so similar to how to what we saw with uh, cannabis fundamentals, I think a lot of companies, especially tech companies, they actually ended up having very good earnings uh, after that initial COVID bounce because people had you know consumers were flush with cash and they had nothing to spend their their paycheck on um, other mm-hmm. than you know services that they could get at home. So uh, then you saw these stocks, you know, their, their financials were accelerating. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of capital out there. Rates were zero. So all of these things added up to just a very, very fortuitous market, which was blasting off. And so that was the broader market. And so in, in relation to some of these things, cannabis still looked extremely cheap. So even when people go back to you know, the beginning of 2021, when cannabis was really, really had its kind of peaking moment. I think if you look at the stocks that were trading at, say, you know, 15 or 20 times um, EBITDA, that was extremely cheap compared to tech companies trading at 100 times revenue, right? I mean, the fact that yeah. we were trading, we were trading at, at material discounts, I think, to, um, to, to what tech was trading at. And, and this is a very important point to me, right, is that one of the things that happens is uh, people really don't know who to look to and, and what, you know, analysis to read. And, you know, you see somebody say, hey, this is going to be a $100 stock. You know, somebody else says, no, this is going to be a $50 stock. All of that, I'm, I'm open to all of it. The point that I just have is I think you need to demand, hey, show your work. 
if you're telling me this is going to be worth $100 a share, what are you basing that out of? Alpha? Are you looking at a chart um, and saying that because of technical analysis and support and resistance, that we're, that's where you think it's going to get? Um, are you basing that off of you know some kind of fundamental analysis? Are you basing that off of you know looking at comparables? You know, just all of those can be fine, but my point is, people need to show their work. And one of the things that were was happening in this ultimate bull market of bull markets was that you know people, you know, especially on Twitter and, and you know they call FinTwit. Um, there all these personalities emerge. I'm, I'm not talking about cannabis now. I'm talking about in general. Um, and uh, and a lot of bad behavior was going on where people were just, you know, kind of really pumping things with no basis and saying this thing's a triple, this thing's a quadruple with no analysis, no thought. Um, and, you know, for some period of time, it was working because it was just as easy as, hey, look at this name let's all go buy this name and push it up and then I'm going to sell it and get out of it, right? So mm-hmm. one of the things I will say about bust periods that is positive is when the tide comes in and you see who's swimming naked, um, people really do learn lessons. I think that um, people learn uh, who not to trust and a lot of lessons get learned that hopefully stick for the future and clean up a lot of bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the macro situation, Abby, it's, it's really, you know, going from um, a situation where you had no fear, no distress, basically no defaults at all for one and a half to two years. Um, this well, seriously distorts markets. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, all of that, obviously looking in hindsight, it, it makes a lot of sense, but we lived through it and it wasn't that long ago, even during 20, you know, even during 2020 or 2021, um, when you were talking about too much capital chasing too few deals, I mean, that was definitely the case, right? And so what ends up happening if you're in, if you're uh, a, a bank, there's too much money out there, you're not going to leave it on the table. So you start manufacturing deals, right? And I don't mean creating out of thin air, it just means you start going down cap or you start allowing, um, you start allowing uh, subpar companies kind of come come through, and we we definitely did see that. And I'm not saying that happened in cannabis; that definitely happened across the board. Because uh, you got to remember, there was a psychedelic boom as well around that time, um, and they took uh, a playbook very similar to what you saw in, in the cannabis space. And I participated in, in a few of those deals. Um, <clears throat> it's I, I haven't, you know, I, I obviously got out uh, before then. I didn't put as much time into it as I, as I do for the cannabis names. Um, it may sound really bizarre kind of looking at it from today's world because there's, you know, there's no capital and there's some deals right now, but <laughs> but when we lived it during 2021, it was absolutely insane. I remember reading a stat, I think it was McKinsey that put it out. It was like uh, trading volumes increased 30, 30, 30 or 35% and most of it came from retail, right? And so that, that was yep. a whole new, that, that was a whole new uh, era of capital kind of coming in. And, you know, um, I'm not saying that retail is unsophisticated by any means, but I'm saying when you're purchasing uh, discount brokerage stocks, you know, you're, you're buying, sorry, when you're purchasing stocks from discount brokerages, you're probably buying in the open market and you're just buying whatever tickers are, are hot, right? Um, and, and we saw the whole Reddit movement happening with, um, what was that company? AMC. GameStop. Um, GameStop. GameStop, AMC. sorry. AMC, yep. AMC was the second one. Yeah. G- GameStop kind of come through. Like this was all going on during that time. So, um, 
you know, as you were saying it, my mind was sort of racing back, like, where was I during that time? And, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it was just a weird time to kind of be in. And so looking back at it, it doesn't make sense now. But when you when, when you put yourself back in there, you realize, okay, this is why we were making the decisions that we were making. Yeah. And, and look, I want to actually, I think what you brought up is a great point that I wanted to touch on, which is that it's very hard for any of us to appreciate how quickly things can change. And, you know, there's the famous Bill Gurley quote, you know, when the music's on, you got to dance. The idea being that if you're an investor, you can't just sit on the sidelines forever and say, you know, I, I'm not going to invest because things seem too frothy. Right. So right. to your point, you know, the the banks or venture capital or whatever, you know, even if things seemed a little off kilter for 2020, 2021, you still had to do deals. Um, and, and that's what people did. And similarly, but, uh, you know, it's it's so crazy to think about how much things changed from 2021 to 2022, like how different those years were. You know, 21, um, the S&P went up 27% that year. And at the end of that year, people could not have been happier with investing, right? People wanted to double their allocations. Mm -hmm. People wanted to go, you know, more into equities. Um, if you look at 2022, the S&P went down something like 22 or 23%. So it basically wiped out all of the gains from the year prior, right? And mm -hmm. at the end of the year, you know, people are almost the you know the opposite, right? They're disgusted. <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it, right? They're they're um you know they're they're throwing in the towel in in some cases like cannabis or crypto or whatever, um and so it's it's hard to imagine. So now, if we look at ourselves as cannabis investors, um it's hard to imagine right now when you know it really is a, a despair and people saying you know this is dead money for a while. We're gonna see some some real distress coming up. Um, it's hard to appreciate how quickly some of that could change, right? And it's probably hard to envision a world, you know, a year or two years from now um, where it is a very favorable capital markets and cannabis is actually, you know, in vogue again. We didn't touch on one of the most important factors of like, okay, well, why did the S&P 500? We talked about why the S&P 500 was up 27% in 2021, but we didn't discuss why it was down like, you know, 20, 20 some odd percent in 2022. And you said it the best, actually. And I think it was a little, a little less than a year ago when we were on this podcast and you were talking about, hey, don't fight the Fed. Things are going to get bad. They talked about this. And I was like, ah, I don't think it's going to get that bad. And then, you know, six, like three or four months later, I was like, okay, I changed my tune. It's going to get bad. Right. So, um, that's something to 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 keep into consideration as well, right? Like, don't don't fight the Fed. So, yeah, I, I agree with the, the the Bill Gurley quote: "When when the music's on, you got to dance." But, um, you know, when uh, when the music's off and you're still dancing, you're just gonna look like a fool. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> but okay, yeah. so so here's my thought, right? Let's say you're really forward thinking in 2021, and you are seeing kind of the leading edge of inflation and you're like, hey, I know what this means. It means we're going to see higher rates and that's going to have all these reverberations, right? So let, let's say you're that guy. Um, so what do you do? You go, okay, well, I guess the thing to do is sell all my speculative equities, You know, sell my high flyers, um, and then what, right? So let, let's say you do that. You liquidate your whole portfolio. Then what do you do? Do you just sit in cash and wait? Um, or do you go, okay, maybe I'll get defensive and I'll buy, you know, I don't know what bonds, you know, I'll buy, you know, mega cap tech companies that, that will be more defensive. Like the point I'm getting to is that unless you just bought cash and waited, or you actually hedged against the market, shorted the market, essentially, um, 
do you think that if you sold your portfolio in 2021, you would have been able to just sit on your hands and do absolutely nothing for like almost a year into 2022? Probably not. Given how much, you know, I, I don't think you would have, but I mean, a lot of people went, a lot of people went to cash, let's say, you know, second quarter 2022 when the mm-hmm. Fed start, started raising rates. And it was because of uncertainty, right? Remember, there was that weird little rally in August where the S&P 500 and the Dow just started coming back up. And it was because there was some more certainty that was given by Powell. They, he just said, hey, I'm going to keep raising rates. So people could mo- people could model that in, right? So um, I think I think by being nimble and going to cash and waiting for that, that uncertainty to go away. But look, there's always a level of uncertainty, but... Um, waiting for that uncertainty to go to go away, you might start tip, dipping your toe back in. But are you going to dip your toe back into the exact same positions that you had before? Maybe you might because you know the companies very well. Or if you are like going back to that anecdotal situation where you're talking about, hey, you know, the inflation guy, uh, maybe you start buying gold. Maybe you start buying other things that have historically followed a, a rate hike cycle, right? So I don't think anybody should be timing the market. And I don't think, you know, in that situation where somebody sells in at 2021 and would they sit? Would they sit in cash fully in 2022? I I don't know. I don't I don't think anybody actually would. But there were some investments that you could have made in 2022 as well, right? Would you have come back and bought? Um, I don't know. Let's say a uh, a cannabis company that was giving you projections that with no li- a, a pre licensed cannabis company in a market that hadn't turned adult use, right? Would you have invested in that in 2022? Probably not. Sign me up. <laughs> well, this is 2023. Yeah, fair new year, enough. new money, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, my my point about the example of of the guy in 2021 who has the crystal ball um, is that even if you can predict what's going to happen, right? Even if you have the writing on the wall, um, you still have to get you know the trade right, right? You still have to figure out, okay, this is okay. I'm going to sell all of these, and then, but the hard part is then to sit there on this cash and do absolutely nothing. So the point I'm and and just imagine you know if you're realistic with yourself how how long do you think you could actually sit there and do nothing? Could you sit there for six months, twelve months, and do nothing? Probably not, right? The cash ends up burning a hole in your mm-hmm. pocket. Um, so the point I'm making is that it's exceptionally hard when you're living it, when you're in the heat of the moment. Um, it's very hard for us to imagine how things are going to be in one year or two years. It's very hard for us to imagine, you know, a total regime change. So, you know, if you, again, if you go back to like late 21 and you started talking about inflation and rates going up, um, I think most people would have been like, yeah, it's going to go up, but it's not that bad, right? We're not going to see, you know, the S&P go down 20%. Like that's a big number, right? So the point being that, um, I think it's very hard for us to fully appreciate uh, how quickly things can change. And I think that is very true to the downside, right? I think that mm-hmm. could also be very true to the upside when we talk about, you know, cannabis and where we could be going in the future, right? So that's just a, a point I want to make is that when the a lot of what happened with cannabis, you can just overlay it with the general macro conditions and say mm-hmm. that a we were subject to a lot of the same forces on the fundamental side and then b we were subject to a lot of the same forces on the macro side and when we had 
you know, these really down negative days, um, you know, sometimes we'd, we'd get punished more than the rest of the market. Um, and then unfortunately, when we have these recovery days, we're not getting the same love. Um, and one thing I've seen is that cannabis tends to lead the way on the downside, and then it tends to lag on the upside. So it does often catch up on the upside, but you kind of need a longer period of of um, positivity in the broader market for cannabis to finally catch up. And that's just like a general statement. Um, but I think that's one of the frustrating things for people when they look at what's going on action wise. Yeah. And, you know, to your, to your point there um, about chase, essentially chasing returns, um, you know, we, I, I see that a lot with, a, with, a, with a lot of mining investors, especially when they're in precious metals or critical metals. Um, each metal they've sort of, seen trends like you know gold goes first and usually like six to eight months silver silver follows shortly after and <clears throat> i don't know if it actually does or not these are just pitch decks that i've read where people have said said they've, that that they've done it and i've always thought like you know who's always chasing these returns but what what i found that a lot of precious metal investors do is they just basically hedge their bets by buying a gold position a silver position a lithium position a copper position whatever uh at any time and then when the market starts rallying that's when they start selling right mm. um it's a little bit more difficult to do with 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 cannabis, but I mean, you know, uh, and, and that was actually one of the the stories that I told myself when, you know, MSOS was rallying in December. It was just like, look, like I, I didn't make my bet. So, you know, what's the point of trying to chase this return, right? Well, so so let's let's keep rolling because the third thing and the fourth thing they're sort of related that I want to talk about um, is this idea of investing versus gambling, right? And we did this episode a while ago where we said, look, there's nothing wrong with gambling versus investing, but it's important to know when you're doing each one because, you know, somebody goes to uh, play roulette, you know, and they go to sit down with $500, you probably go, Hey, have fun. You know, it is what it is. But if that same person turns around and is mortgaging their house and is sitting down at the roulette table with $500,000, you're probably like, Hey, let's, let's take a break here. We got to talk. Right. So the idea being that if you're gambling, you have to know that you're gambling and you have to act accordingly. So, one of the things that happened in this industry slowly is it turned from a long-term thesis of, hey, these are limited licensed businesses with wide moats around the business. Um, it, it turned from that to more of a short-term legislative trade. And in early 2021, if you remember, a lot of the excitement was around you know, the Senate flipping and um, you know, Senator Schumer kind of saying, I'm going to prioritize legalizing cannabis. I'm going to bring in a bill, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So uh, that was that became additive to the long term thesis. And it was like, hey, that's like, you know, the icing on the cake um, and, and uplisting is the ultimate prize. We, we've said that many times. But where it started to get murky is when the fundamentals were deteriorating and it became clear they were deteriorating. Um and then we're like, okay, well, we're holding on though because there could be some short-term upside with the with the legislative um, uh, with with some legislative uh, movement, right? So then mm -hmm. we're no longer betting on the fundamentals of the companies over time. Now we're betting on legislation passing, right? So that's where that's kind of the time when you're like, hey, if that's what we're betting on. We need to take a step back here and look at our portfolio size, you know, our bet size, if you will, and say, um, well, do we have too much money riding on a legislative bet here, right? The hard part about that, getting into kind of uh, the last bucket of investor psychology, 
is that you go, well, look, I'm down, you know, 60, 70% already. So I just don't want to, you know, if I was going to sell, I should have done it, you know, whatever, six months, a year ago, 50% ago, I don't want to sell here at these levels, right? But sometimes you have to take a step back and look at your absolute amount of capital invested um, and mm-hmm. say, do I have two, you know, th- okay, if the thesis has changed, um, how much capital do I have in and, and how, what should I do differently, right? And I think that, right. I think that at the, at the very least, um, going back into the trade at the end in December was, was definitely the wrong move because even if it had passed, it was probably too aggressive of a move to do that, right? To take 10, 15, 20% off was the right decision. Um, even if it didn't feel that way when the stocks kept running mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, look, I, I, I'm happy to say like that, I'm not happy to say it, but I think it's important to say that was a mistake that I made. Um, and, you know, the, the takeaway is like, man, when you're, when you have the ability to, you know, when you're working from home or whatever, and you have the ability to make split second decisions on buying and selling, you're often not paying attention to the big picture of your portfolio, right? You're just looking at, okay, I have X dollars of cash in this account. You know, I can spend it, right? And, and oh, it's okay. It's, it all, you know, I'm going to be flexible and I can always, you know, sell it, you know, the next yeah, minute. Yeah, be so rich right? when this thing triples. <laughs> 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 and and look, this is a big thing too. I think a lot of retail investors are coming to be investors, not traders. But you get turned upside down because in this sector, trading has worked out better than investing. And when you look online, you know, people are like, "Oh yeah, no like I made money on that. I actually traded it in and out of it like in the 10 seconds that it was up. Like you should have too." And, you know, did they, didn't they? I don't know. Who knows, right? But yeah, it um, depends on when they got in, right? No, but also, I mean, people can say anything. I mean, there are people who you oh, know, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, get bullish and buy something and then post about it. Then when it goes the other way, they go back and delete it, right? So, you know, you know, it's just like those people to me have no credibility, and you know, I don't want to, you know, it's not something, not how I want to live my life, right? But mm-hmm. it, it it also does remind me, and and this is again to the idea of you know social media taking on this new life post COVID in the investment world. You know, it reminds me of that of that Jay Z quote. Um, you know, where he says, uh, "You know, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man." And you got to understand that there's different incentives that people have when they're out here talking about what's going on, right? I mean, it's it's not as simple as wanting to share information with people. Sometimes it is, and that's great. But sometimes it's about, "Hey, I'm the greatest investor in this industry, and you should listen to me." And then you know, there's some ulterior motive to that, right? Whether it's selling you something or increasing your follower account or getting clout or whatever the person's motivation is, right? So a lot of what happens and and has happened can be uh, explained by incentives. Um, and sometimes the incentive is not immediately clear, but there's some incentive that is guiding people's behavior. Um, and just a quick example of this is that if you want to, for example, get a large follower account, right? Or, you know, if you have a podcast, you want to build a network, you know, build a, a network and, and make it bigger and get a lot of people, a lot of eyeballs on it. The easiest way to do that is to be uber, uber bullish on whatever it is you're talking about, right? Uh, whether it's Tilray or GTI, you know, you just do an episode, say GTI is a 10 bagger, 
right? And that headline itself is going to get you a lot of eyeballs. You know, whether or not you show your work of how you got there or whether or not it's true, all of that gets lost in the shuffle because if people get subscribers or followers or whatever, um, you know, that's really what people care about. That's what they're incentivized to do at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed that not, I mean, it's partially in our industry, but that is just something that has happened across the market over the last couple of years. That has become really prevalent. And I would say there's probably a 90% bias to the upside. People want to hear about how something is going to the moon. It's going to be a 10 bagger. People are also interested in hearing about how something's, you know, the zero. Um, because when stocks are going down, that's when, you know, people panic and they want to know what they hold. Um, so there's there's some kind of incentive system around that. But generally speaking, I think it is to have these really kind of juicy and optimistic targets. If you remember with the safe banking odds, you know, when when you know companies were putting out these odds and they were saying, we think it's 75-25, you know, the, the point that I had was like, how are you getting to those numbers? You need to explain to us how you're getting to 75-25 and not 82 and 18, right? Like, where is your, is this just gut feel? Are you throwing a dart at a board or why are you getting to these numbers? Right. Yeah. And I think that was very frustrating. I and mean, I, I also, actually, when you looked at that number, because I'm oh, sorry, I was, I was going to say that that number that you're referring to in particular, I mean, I think you got, you look at it not as a science. It was more that, you know, they had a, things were pointing to safe passing, right? That's kind of, I think what they were trying to reiterate, but, but I get what you're saying, right? Like if you're trying to, if you're going to be that, like if you want to be like surgeon levels specific by saying, Hey, you know, I think it's a 73.2% chance of passing. <laughs> You know, <laughs> let us know where you got that number from. Explain <laughs> it, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and I want to uh, I want to give a shout out here. I saw this great quote on Twitter. It was Livy McKay on Twitter, and she said, "Cannabis analysts don't get paid to be right; they get paid to have the right opinions." Let me say that again: Cannabis analysts don't get paid to be right; they get paid to have the right opinions. Ooh, I, I think that is a devastatingly true quote. It's not just cannabis, by the way. It's all analysts. Um, but that's, again, if you just understand how we got here, a lot of it comes down to understanding incentive structures. And, mm-hmm. you know, it comes to analysts, you know, they're not putting out this research for free out of the goodness of their heart, guys. They're doing it um, to spread an opinion, which ultimately benefits their clients who pay them millions of dollars when they do an equity raise for them. Right. So you do an equity raise um, because there's upside to a company. So there's zero incentive to write a report saying that, hey, this company is not good or, hey, the sector is not good. The incentive is to the upside. um, And that's how everybody gets paid. So I think that's really important to understand. Now, hey, if if it Mm -hmm. works and we all make money, great. Right. Um, But the reality is the bankers are getting paid if it goes up, down, or sideways. Uh, as long as they can raise money, they're getting paid. Uh, and that's right. just the reality of the situation. So, um, you, you know, just to wrap up kind of the the how we got here part, I, I think, you know, the last elements are really about, as we talked about, investing, turning into gambling, um, and being slow to acknowledge the bad parts. Uh, human psychology and retail bullishness, uh, you know, social media and, and kind of things we learned from that. 
Um, but really, I think it it boils down to uh, the industry had a lot of excess to clear away. Um, and unfortunately, once you get on the wrong side of deterioration of fundamentals, it became a story of burning capital. And uh, that's mm-hmm. very unfortunate. And there's really uh, there's really no good way to get you know behind that. I mean, the general capital markets still had a lot of capital to fund losses. And unfortunately, our industry just never really had access to that. It, it briefly had access to equity capital. Um, and it just it just never was blessed with the ability to take on losses the way many other industries have. Um, and, and that's not fair, but, you know, life's not fair. And now we're in a in a world talking about going forward where I think you're going to see a lot of belt tightening. I think you're going to see companies prioritize survival um, and operational cash flow. And I think you're really going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and talking about the future in 2023, so let me just start by saying I actually think that we are in the process of finding a bottom in cannabis stocks. I'm not saying we're at the bottom, but I'm saying we are in that process right now. Um, I personally think that if you are buying cannabis stocks uh, where we are today, and not to say we can't go lower. Um, in fact, I, I think we may be headed lower. But I think that if you're buying in this uh, general vicinity, I actually think you're going to do really, really well over two to three years. And, and I'll explain my thinking in a minute. Um, but the fact that we have had capitulation, the fact that we are seeing um, estimates come down, um, and the fact that I think companies are actually going to get to a position now where they're prioritizing survival and you're going to see them do, uh, I think resetting expectations and doing things like, you know, if there are markets that have compressed so much that they're just not beneficial, let's say a market like mass, right? Where Mm -hmm. before that market had way fewer stores and way higher prices. And now it's a much more difficult market. Like, I don't think it's out of the question that you see a company just shut down operations, you know, close stores outright. Um, Like, I think that's within the realm of possibility. Now, normally you wouldn't, you'd be very reluctant to do that because, well, I'm sacrificing top line, right? I'm sacrificing sales. Well, when everything is looking very bleak and companies are fighting for survival, um, as I think the period that we're headed into I think you say, look, forget it. Investors don't necessarily care about top line growth right now. They're going to prioritize cash flow and balance sheet. So if I need to um, basically shutter operations in certain states, and that's what I need to do to bring cash flow back to positive, then that's what I'm going to do because the alternative is death. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, the, kind of silver lining in that, you know, that's obviously not a positive thing. Um, and it's very painful and it's very bad for employees as well. But the the positive you get out of that is that if you are cutting top line, right? Um, I mean, look, how much more can they punish your stock? You're already, you know, in the dumps. But what that means is that you're resetting your baseline, right? So then a year from now, you're actually, once you're able to open, you know, more stores or whatever, or, or maybe even reopen stores, um, now you actually are able to show growth again. Because one of the problems is the base of these companies has become so large. You know, you're talking about billion dollar run rate companies uh, to show 10% growth 
is a hundred million dollars of new sales. Yeah. So resetting the top line a little bit, bringing it back down, sacrificing top line to help the bottom line. Uh, I think this is the year that that actually becomes a trend uh, for cannabis, and it's actually not the worst thing long term. Are you are you at all concerned about like dilutive equity raises? Because I mean, there's no, there's literally no equity market right now. I mean, you're seeing slight rebounds. And there are going to be some companies where they do have to tap into the markets and they're going to have to do something very favorable, right? Whether it's a, a full warrant or whatever, just, you know, raising down here. Like, are you, is that not a, of concern to you? Yeah, that's a giant concern. And, and that's why I say, like, I think we're in a bottoming process where you're seeing a lot of disgust, capitulation, people just saying, you know, I'll give you an example, Ascend, um, that stock got cratered recently, like almost down to a dollar. And uh, the rumor was it was just one big seller, right? And that was my point going back to that safe banking episode was that, look, we just don't have the liquidity. One big yeah. seller can just completely trash a stock. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and now we have the opposite problem from before where MSOS, anytime they have a redemption, you're going to see forced selling on these MSOs. And funny enough, Ascend is the best performing MSO of the last like 30 days. Why? Because uh, it's actually not an MSOS. It's the only one who's not an MSOS. It's the only one not being forced uh, to sell um, when they have a redemption, funny enough. So now it's gone the other way, right? Where they weren't getting the benefit of MSOS. Not they're, now they're not getting tagged by MSOS. So that's why I think, you know, to your point, I think we're not at a bottom yet, um, or at least, you know, I'm not sure, because we we could definitely have more redemptions. I think the macro has a lot more downside. I still have my hedges against the S&P. Um, and to your point, equity raises. I mean, these companies are burning money, still many of them, right? What are they going to do? And uh, equity raises definitely on the table, right? Um, you know, other kinds of debt financing are on the table, sale leasebacks on the table. The name of the game is how do we raise enough capital and how do we uh, cut enough of expenses that we can survive for two years and get to the other side of this mm -hmm. thing, right? And hopefully there's greener pastures and, and a brighter light at the end of this tunnel. Um, so yes, absolutely, Abby. You're, uh, I think that's a huge concern. And that's why I think we go back to more of a stock pickers market where people who actually pay attention to the balance sheet and pay attention to operational cash flow are going to be able to make better decisions um, and hopefully uh, avoid some of the pitfalls in the industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's I'll my biggest this, concern, the, the dilution part of it. Sorry, yeah, look, I'll say, I'll say this though, right? If you look at, um, if, if you look at this kind of market where people are very cautious, you know, myself included, uh, this is where typically people end up doing really, really well uh, over a period of time. Because you look at a company like Air or Ascend, like these things are, are basically penny stocks now, right? I mean, they're in the in the one something range, um, which optically becomes like a penny stock. These companies, if they can survive, right? And I think Air has more questions to answer than Ascend. But as long as these companies can survive, they end up being very high beta because their valuations have fallen so much. Um, now, they're also carrying a lot of debt, right? But that's why that's why I put the big if on there. They end up being very attractive. But what happens in these kind of markets is people go, look, I don't want to try to hit a five-bagger with air 
um, if I can hit a two to three X with GTI, I'm happy. Right. So yeah. that's kind of rational, conservative thinking. Um, whereas, you know, in the, in the boom times, we're like, well, I don't want to make 20% on this. I would rather try to double my money in the warrant. Right. And then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, <laughs> that doesn't, that then you lose money on the warrant, you hit a zero and you're like, Oh Jesus, what did I just do? Right. So, so that's kind of how the door has swung a little bit. Um, I think, look, I, I think if realistically, anytime you're starting to get, like when we did our, the financial review a couple of weeks ago, uh, generally speaking, the group was trading in a range of like six to eight times EBITDA. And then Curaleaf is way out at like 12 times or something. Um, and now we used, we didn't increase EBITDA a whole lot. We kept it pretty flat um, looking forward. The prices have come down 40%. So now we're talking, you know, in the range of what, four to six times EBITDA. So once you get companies that are kind of like, sub six, you know, four to five times EBITDA, that starts getting attractive again. Like that's kind of like, Ooh, I'm, I'm interested. And remember, we're not, we might not be done on the downside here with MSOS selling and stuff like that. So now you kind of go, okay, hang on a minute. So I might be able to pick up some of these companies at three to four times EBITDA. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, it's uh January 10th today, Connecticut just launched sales. So not a huge state, but it's going to be a couple hundred million of sales this year and mostly consolidated into a couple of MSOs, right? Uh, Maryland might actually launch uh, by July 1st. Uh, Hirsch has been sending me constant updates on that one. So thank you, Hirsch. But uh, that might actually launch July 1st. Then you have another like tailwind in the back half of the year for some of these guys. Um, now that has to be balanced with the continuous price compression in other states. So I'm not saying they're going to shoot the lights out here. Uh, I'm just saying like, it's not inconceivable that EBITDA stays flat one year forward, right? So you kind of go, hmm, like I start getting lower and lower and get to three to four times EBITDA. That gets kind of interesting to me, right? And and some of these companies don't have the worst capital situation. I mean, truly have just raised, I think it was like 70 million or something uh, doing two mortgages on their properties. And, you know, I put an asterisk next to them because if they can cut aggressively and get their costs under control, you know, maybe they can return to operating cash flow positive. You know, these kind of things start happening and you start feeling better about the industry, right? So um, all I'm saying is I know people are disgusted. I know people are not in the, you know, wanting to add exposure. I, I hear you. Um, but at the right numbers, you start to get pretty interested in in adding some level of exposure here. Now, uh, you know, I wish I was sitting on more cash. I wish I had less exposure. I wish I trimmed more into the safe run run up. Um, But it is what it is, right? We are where we are. I'm just looking Mm -hmm. at some of this stuff and thinking that this could be a little bit of a recipe for for good returns if you have a longer time horizon, not just three or six months. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely could, man. And um, you're, you're, I agree with every, everything that you're saying in terms of, we are closer to the bottom. I mean, my, I, I like ending this on a positive note. Um, and you know, going back to your example of AYR versus, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to five bagger on AYR. I'd rather take, you know, a, a two or three bagger here on, on GTI. I mean, obviously downside protection is, is everything right now. 
Um, my biggest fear still goes right back down to the fact that, hey, what if some of these companies do crazy dilutive races, right? Because it just ends up hurting the position a little a, a little bit more. And um, <clears throat> but that could also be a sign that we are at the, that we are at the bottom, right? Once you start seeing that, so you know, I'm I'm still well, a little well, bit more cautious before I start going more into it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so sorry, you're making a good point here, but that's why I also just just note. I think it does shift to be more of a stock pickers market because to your point, yeah, like, you, you do yeah. have, you have to be, you, you can see who's going to raise money, right? It's not a secret. Like you look at somebody's balance sheet and they're, they're short on cash and they're burning cash. Something has to happen, right? Like mm-hmm. you're like, okay, that person's going to have to raise money shortly. So to your point, I, I'm, I totally agree with you. You got to be careful about what you're buying. And the company's in a more precarious financial situation. It's easier to just avoid them altogether until it gets sorted out, right? And yeah. until they, until you see that balance sheet improve, I don't think you should be rushing out to buy any of these stocks, especially when I think the uh, broader market, you know, still has a lot of downside risk associated with it. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, for the first time in a little while, I'm looking at these and saying, mm, I'm going to consider, you know, at some point this year putting some money to work again in this industry, you know, despite, you know, being disgusted with my exposure level, um, you know, if you can get your head around some of these issues and, you know, the values are where they are, you go, okay, like, you know, at, at three to four times multiples, if you get there, that starts to get hard to argue with. Yeah. No, it does. It does. It's, it's, it's extremely attractive. Okay. So just to close it out, let me, let me just share a final thought with you guys. Um, you know, we got a lot more to talk about this year. I think we've got some good interviews coming up and, you know, different things. And we're going to do, uh, every other week just to, to make it easier on ourselves, to be honest, and, and try to have more meaningful things to say. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about as I was giving somebody a real estate update is that one of the things that's happened in private markets is that you've seen a lot of stickiness on prices downwards. You have not seen a lot of distress. You've not seen a lot of panicking. Um, and there's a phrase that keeps coming to mind. Um, it's market clearing mechanism and public equities, I think are super interesting because they can do anything. And, you know, when MSOS is forced to sell, that is going to be a very painful day in an illiquid market. Um, you know, when a big buyer wants out of ascend, um, that's going to be very painful in, in a stock that doesn't have a lot of support. But these these stocks, you're seeing the market clearing mechanism work where people want out, they get out, right? But the private assets don't have that, right? The public assets have experienced that and are experiencing it. Cannabis is experiencing it twice over because you're getting regular people selling and then you're getting these crazy MSOS redemptions and forced selling, right? So mm. it is interesting in that you know private assets have not seen nearly this kind of experience. So I do think when you think about cannabis, um, it's super interesting that I don't think you're going to see any activity on the private side because you're just not clearing the mechanism with price action. It's just not available, right? And so um, the public equities are actually super interesting places to be and super interesting place to keep your eye on uh, because that's where I think you're going to continue to see the best deals going forward this year. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that holds true if you're comparing, you know, if that's true in cannabis, it's true in um, real estate, it's probably true of, of just general, you know, equity investing. Uh, but I think like that's kind of something to be interested of as, as an investor is that if you're keeping your eye on public markets, that will be some of the best opportunities, I think, this year, cannabis or tech or what have you. Um, and I'm not saying it's we're there today, but I'm saying that's kind of a big theme of mine for 2023. When people don't want to invest, when capital is super tight, when people are scared, uh, selectively, cautiously, with an eye to balance sheets, it can be an extremely lucrative time to make those investments and plant those seeds that then end up harvesting and, and being, you know, great payoffs, um, you know, whether at six months or, you know, two years or five <laughs> yeah. years. From now. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's a longer time horizon. And, and I agree with you, man. I, I think there is definitely some opportunity there um, this year's for sure. You know, one of the, one of the catalysts that I'm really looking forward to, this is not for cannabis specifically, but it's just for the broader capital markets in general is the minute that um, the rate at which uh, uh, Powell's raising rates starts decreasing, right? That's that I think is going to add some fuel to the fire. Um, you know, I'm hearing more and more. This is up here in Toronto. Uh, somebody had a hilarious joke and it was um, all road in Canadian capital markets, all roads lead to mining, right? And I've been <laughs> avoiding mining as much as I possibly could, but gold and like you know i i've been obviously reading up more and more about it so i agree with you man i, I think there's there's this is a very exciting year i think there's I, I think there's a little bit more pain to come for sure but i think there is a lot to look forward to um and yeah you know we are going into another fun stat is that we are going into the third year of a presidential uh term um and typically during this time the president does whatever they possibly can to uh to make the economy look good and hopefully biden puts some uh some onus on other cannabis or just the markets in general yeah fair enough that that's an interesting point too um okay guys that's where we'll leave it off happy new year everybody welcome to 2023 cin podcast at gmail.com until next time This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and st strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.